This week on Writers Inc. Towards the end, there was a point where I was turning out like anywhere from like 10 to 15,000 words a day. And so, so then having, having that edited down to, I mean, I don't know, a thousand words. J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the bestseller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's Inc. So JD, um, how's uh, are you got an Amazon Prime membership? <laughs> so yeah, this this one was a tough tough nut to swallow. So you know we've got that house that we bought in in Georgia. Um, it, it's it's a lodge. I mean it's twelve bedrooms and I, I think eight bathrooms. And they, my wife put another bedroom in the the pool house. Like I'm not even sure how many like like sleeping spaces there are on this property or anything anymore. Um, but she told me she bought some stuff on Amazon. Um, you know, like she's at the tail end of this, so she's furnishing it and buying pictures and, you know, buying beds and all this other stuff. And she, she handed me the bill yesterday, $60,000 on Amazon. And then she, she sent me a picture of what that looks like. And I, I was going to share it with you guys, but I didn't get a chance to, to get it off my phone. But, but I, I've never seen a $60,000 Amazon delivery before until I, I got that picture and it. And it's insane. And there are people on the other side of it that she's paying to basically unpack all this stuff, put it together, get it in the house. Um, so that's like another, I think, a four or $5,000 spend when it's all, all said and done. But altogether, we're, we're basically at, I think, a little shy of $300,000 that we put into renovating this this house that was you know supposed to be fairly turnkey when we, when we bought it. And this is what happens when you buy a million-dollar property site on scene and you, you walk through the door. So that's where we're at. So that sixty grand was like one order. That was one order. It was it was furniture. It was bedding. It was towels. It was pictures for the walls. You know, literally. I mean, the house itself I think is around twelve thousand square feet. So it was you know, imagine an empty house, twelve thousand square feet that you have to completely furnish because it's going to be an Airbnb. So it has to look like somebody actually lives there. Um, so it's you know every every one of those rooms getting them up to speed. And you know, little things just add up. You know, toilet paper holders. You know, but you need eight of them. You know, like it just it's crazy. Man, you might get invited up on Jeff Bezos' next space expedition. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. That's, I better. He earned like a seat <laughs> on it. I, Seriously, I, I, he's going to see that I'm, bill and be like, holy crap, i got to call this dude and have him come up. I'm going to just jump in there just to get away from whatever the next Amazon bill is. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thinking she's done. She swears she's done. Um, the place is going live at the like, first week of July or something, so... Yeah, I know That's the way you are, man. I, I'll bet you were going down that. <laughs> <laughs> you were going down that invoice <laughs> line by line. <laughs> well, you know, like where we where we have disagreements on this sort of thing, and you know, like every husband and wife you know, have arguments and or whatever. But like with this particular house, like it was already furnished. You know, like it had a lot of stuff in there that I thought was you know perfectly acceptable. You know, like this this bed looked great, this one looked fine, this dresser's okay, that sort of thing. Um, and like all of it went out the door you know, was donated or sold or whatever and, and replaced with, with brand new, which I totally get looks, you know, phenomenal. I mean, it looks, everything looks brand new. Um, but like, you know, I would have 
probably salvage some of that stuff. There's HGTV shows about how to refinish a dresser. <laughs> like I would have gone that route, I think, on a, on a couple of those pieces there, and maybe it, it still would have been a crazy. You would have been out but... in the garage with a belt sander. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you do what you got to do. Oh my! She's goodness. just looking at you, saying, "Well, just go sell another book." <laughs> nah, this, this this is all on her. There's there's a spreadsheet like this this property like the way this works. It's a separate corporation. So of like, of course it is. Yeah. Um. So it like the property itself has to pay off this debt. So it's basically starting you know like three hundred grand in the hole, um, before it becomes profitable. Um. But yeah, I'm, I'm gonna freaking hurry up and write another book pretty quick just to, <laughs> <laughs> to make sure there's a cushion there. Just make sure we're we're covered on on that. Soon oh. it's gonna be Air J and D. Oh man, distract me from all this. What's going on in your lives? Uh, I got a uh, shipment from Amazon um, of K cups. <laughs> it was, it was okay. about sixteen dollars. <laughs> you know, earlier today, earlier today, I went to make a K cup and I was on the phone. Um, shout out to our buddy JP, and I forgot to put a mug in there. Oh no! And so instead of making a cup of coffee, I just made a mess. <laughs> I was like, I was so distracted. So, yeah. That's, that's that kind of stuff story. happens no matter what you like. You're, I told you guys about that, that coffee machine they sent me. This thing costs 4,000 bucks and it cleans itself, which is awesome. But you know, it doesn't tell Sounds you like when, it doesn't tell you when it's going to clean itself. So if you make like a cappuccino and you leave it sitting there on the tray for, you know, more than a couple of minutes, it, it might decide to clean itself while your cup of cappuccino is still sitting underneath the, underneath the little spigots. So like all this dirty water and stuff basically gets sprayed out of the machine. <laughs> into your, so you, you, you have to get your coffee mug out of there, um, which I learned the hard way. So. That sounds like a design error. Yeah, probably. Just a little bit. <laughs> oh, my. Well, how are your K-Cups, Jay? What else is going on? <laughs> that, that, that's about it. It's just, just about the K-Cups. I, I do have to make a note for myself, though. I want to give a, uh, a shout-out to uh, an online conference uh, some friends of ours, writeoncon.org. Uh, they're doing a uh, virtual uh, conference, bunch of speakers. What's really cool is tickets are like as little as 10 bucks. So we'll have a link in the show notes, but I just want to give them a shout out and say, uh, hey, if you're looking for a, uh, a writer's conference to check out, that's the one. Sweet. Nice. Not, nothing really going on over here. I've <laughs> I told you guys behind the scenes some of the stuff I'm dealing with. So it's just, it's been kind of consumed me the last couple of days, just some like personal stuff. So um, that's made it a little hard to focus and work on stuff, but I got some, I got some stuff done today. So just been, uh, but yeah, so not, wow. not a whole, not a whole lot going on over here, unfortunately. So can you take a minute and just put something on the wall? So those blank walls are killing me. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to. So <laughs> I in, have things it. to put up. It's just you need, been a matter of... You need JD's of... wife to put an order, an, Am an Amazon order in for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that would be great, actually. Like... <laughs> I, 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 can, I can tell you a little company called Mixtiles has, like, various prints that you can get. You can go on there and search bathroom, and, like, generic prints for bathroom will come up in various sizes, and you can decorate a whole house with, with random artwork garbage. So I have stuff. It's just, I have my book covers. Jay actually sent me something awesome that I want to hang up. Like, he's, he sent me a housewarming gift. Um, so thanks to him, you know, I appreciate at least one of you guys did. Um, <laughs> I don't even know your old address. I, I'm, I'm just messing. Uh, like, I, what I don't state do you live I'm in, Zach? <laughs> yeah. He's like, where do you live again? Yeah. T yeah. But, uh, but, uh, it's more just like, I don't know. I, th I think you're supposed to like fill the holes when you leave this place on the wall. And I just don't know if I'm to mess with toothpaste, that, so. dude, toothpaste. <laughs> I was actually looking at getting like adhesive wall hangers. So this episode really has turned into like an HGTV, HGTV show. 
This real, it absolutely is. I'm, I'm looking at Jay's plant, thinking he should have just sent you a branch of that. So you I have a couple with your plants. <laughs> uh, I'm ne- next, I'll tell you what I'll do. Next week, I will bring my plant from downstairs, and I'll put it back behind me over here so you can see the plant. Sweet. Looking forward to that. All right. Yeah. So, so I, I'm going to get into the ad read, and then uh, maybe we can, we can. Is it Home Depot? We can think about, we can think about bringing you a guest that one on. up yet? Amazon Prime. <laughs> we want to give a shout out to Home Depot and Amazon Prime. Or <laughs> no, no, it's Kobo Reading Life. Of course it is. Uh, we love Kobo. We love Tara. How you doing, Tara? Uh, set your price. Keep all your rights. Monthly promotional opportunities. Listen, if you're going to publish wide, you got to do it with Kobo. Head on over to KoboWritingLife.com or click the link in the show notes and uh, get your book up there. What are you waiting on? All right. So what do we got? Who do we got this week, JD? This week we've got Colton Hayes. He's an American actor and model, um, best known for starring in, in shows like Teen Wolf and Arrow on CW. Uh, he's got a memoir that uh, is either out now or just about to come out called Miss Memory Lane, and it's fantastic. Uh, here he is, Colton Hayes. If I decide to open a Red Robin restaurant, can I hire you as the mascot? I, that's the first time that, that anyone's mentioned that this whole press tour. I <laughs> I would love that because I... <laughs> I, that's like the one memory, because I know I, there was a couple pictures that I had, but somehow they vanished. But that was the, one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. Um, and yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to be the Red Robin mascot? That was, that was, that was so much fun. What a great story. Can, can, you, uh, can you tell the listener uh, sort of the gist of it? Because I love the way you, you described this, how you came to be that uh, persona. Yeah, I basically, I was in high school and I was, I was a senior in high school in Texas outside of uh, San Antonio. And I just moved there. I was looking for a job, um, but I played sports and I did theater. So I didn't necessarily have a lot of hours available. So I went in, They, um, I tried to get the job at Wendy's and all these other places and no one would hire me, but then Red Robin hired me as a busboy. And then I saw this, you know, this, this kind of mascot bird, like playing and dancing with a bunch of kids. And I was like, I want to do that. And then the manager was like, no one wants to do that. And I was like, well, I do. And then it turned out that, uh, that the job paid, you know, $13 an hour or something. So it paid a lot more than, than busing tables. So I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> well, in all seriousness, I mean, a- after reading Miss Memory Lane, your fabulous memoir, uh, you seem to have that approach to life. It seems like you just, you just kind of step up and take, take what you want. <laughs> you know, it really, I pretty much at this point, I mean, even back then, I just would do whatever I could to like, you know, either to get ahead or, or do whatever I could to just to make something work. And I, you know, that kind of faded a little bit when I, when I moved to LA, because I kind of, you know, it, it's a little harder to, you know, continue to do things you want to do, because there are a lot of stages and a lot of steps and a lot of people standing in the way. But uh, yeah, at least at least when I was growing up, I definitely if I set my mind to it, I was like, I, I had this, this will to make something happen. Awesome. Uh, at what point did you realize you had a memoir that had to get out of you? Oh my gosh. I, you know, it, I had been approached for a couple years and the, it just really scared me because I, I think I, I wasn't sure if I, there was going to be some certain, some things I, I was going to be able to talk about just because some of, some of the things in the book are extremely personal when it comes to, you know, some, some, um, how can I say that? Some, you know, some very sexual things that happened earlier on, early on. And I'm glad that I actually went forward and wrote it 
now, or at least I it took almost three years, but I'm glad that I was um, in the right mindset to write it because I've been sober for almost four years now. And I really am so thankful I didn't write it prior to getting sober because I think I would have, I still have, you know, there's moments where I, this book is not a smear piece and it's not a, I'm basically, if I'm smearing anyone or pointing fingers at anyone, it's myself. And I think that that realization and having that, that ability to do now, I did not have back then. And so, you know, I, I really am happy that this is not a, one of those kind of smear piece memoirs because I don't really, I'm not the type of person now that wants to hurt people just because they hurt me. And that for, for that, I, I changed names and um, just made it, made it really all about me and my experience and my part. And so um, I think that that's really why now was the time. And I, I really just had, yeah, I mean, I lost my, I really lost my way. And, you know, I think I really feel like this book really helped find my way back to myself. And it really gave me this, I don't know, it gave me this like second wind. Now I just have this passion for um, something. I've always had a passion for writing, but I, I never really had an opportunity to tell my story. And, you know, and now I'm, you know, in back, back in school, you know, and, and doing college classes now and, and, you know, taking a bunch of writing courses and I just really fell in love with it. So. Well, congratulations on the sobriety. That is no uh, insignificant thing. Thank you. Thank uh, you. I'm, I mean, I'm still, you know, still have my Red Bull, but yeah. that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it seemed as though you were, uh, you had a lot of traumas as a child. You had a lot to deal with. And I, I, I would imagine that over time, like that's, that that's hard to cope, right? I mean, that you, you got to come find some way to, to heal yourself. Uh, and just to numb, numb everything, you know, I, and I wasn't, I told myself, I, even when I was growing up in high school, I was like, I don't want to be like my parents. And, and I didn't, at that time, I didn't understand that it was a disease, that, that it, it was something that, that I shouldn't have blamed them for and things like that. But I had to go through it myself because I, I am that, that type of person that has to hit every branch of the way down. Uh, Cause I still have that terrible, stubborn nature. Um, unfortunately that was all, um, that affected me and really no one else. And so that, that wasn't, you know, being harmful to myself was the worst thing I could possibly do, but I, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm, de I'm so glad that I was in the mindset. Um, I still was out of my mind. Don't get me wrong. Writing a book for all of you who are listening to this, <laughs> it is very difficult. And, uh, you know, it's not what you hear a lot of these celebrities of their book tours talking about how, you know, they went to their chalet and, in Aspen and drank hot tea. I'm like, yeah, I cried for three years and didn't sleep. And I doubted every single decision I've ever made in my life. And I wanted to, you know, my hairs turned gray and I wanted to pull my hair out. So, but afterwards, I'm very proud of it. Well, I'd love to dig into that writing process a little bit. I mean, we are writing podcasts and, and we love yeah. having having writers on. So can you take us inside uh, the process? Like, um, how did you get started and how did you start, you know, getting words on the page? You know, how I started was, so basically I had agreed to, to put basically the pitch together. And um, oh, I when I said yes, I... I was regretting every bit of it because I, I had a fear that once I put, I think it was, it was almost 20 pages, you know, I put the kind of synopsis and a breakdown of different chapters and things like that, which at that time it was going to be a letter a, a collection of letters that I had written um, almost like an, almost like an amends process. And so, at, so with that, uh, in this, you know, at, 
in this room in my office um, for almost, I think it took me like two months just to write the the pitch because I kept changing it. I could, I was like, I couldn't make up my mind. And so then when we went out, whenever it went to um, basically to auction um, and everyone started bidding to see if they wanted to, um, to take the book, um, when, it, when the offers started coming in, I was really surprised because it, it really meant it was special for me to know that people were interested in my story. And so, but then once, once I started writing it, it was just, you know, me sitting on track changes and then me getting notes from my editor, Peter Borland, who I love. Um, but I am not good at, how do I say this? I'm not the best at small talk. And so answering certain like little notes that, that, that clearly were like already on the page and like answering a thousand of them, they were really hard for me to do. But I, I, you know, luckily I had, I had like a whole team of people who were trying to, you know, keep me uplifted and, and keep me positive. And um, yeah, I really am so thankful to the entire team because I, I was so emotional, you know, I, I just kept new things kept coming up and, and I had to make sure that my edit was right because there, I could have written three books with all, with all that I'd written. And so yeah, the, the process of that, the, the editing was was really difficult for me, but I, I definitely think the what stayed out of the book needed to stay out. So, were there particular deadlines that you were writing towards? Like, were you were you writing it in stages, and how did you how did you move from one stage to the next? I miss every deadline. <laughs> I, I miss. I not only like missed. I, I wow. I really think they added an extra. I think it was like an extra six months because. I just hit a writer's block that I, it's funny because you hear that in like movies and the TV, like, I don't know, whatever you're watching about that, but it is a very serious thing It you to where you're, you're just having such a great time and then things are really flowing out. I mean, there was a point, especially towards the end, there was a point where I was turning out like anywhere from like 10 to 15,000 words a day. Wow. And so, so then having having that edited down to, I mean, I don't know, a thousand words. That was hard for me because um, it, basically I felt like there were so many things that I was putting out there and then they were being chopped down. And so that's that was a little difficult for me, but I had to really take myself out of the situation and be like, you know what? This is my first book. This is my first opportunity to write. I have to trust these. I have to trust everyone. And everyone knows way more than I do in this situation. And, and I think you know, I just had to really trust the process and I had to uh, keep just churning out words. And some of that would be in in the form of driving in my car, um, voice notes, and then making sure when I got home, I, you know, would transcribe. And then, um, and some of it was just direct, direct pulls from my journals. And there's a chunk at the very end. It's kind of, I go through this drunk spiral in the end uh, before in the one of the last chapters before I go get help before I get, uh, go to the hospital. And that is basically just a direct, um, I just basically pulled that from my journal because it was such a frustrating, um, that was such a frustrating time for me. And I wanted to make sure that I got out everything that I was feeling. And so that was, that was helpful the, the, that I had a lot to pull from. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about th your decision in how you started and ended the memoir, because 
it was fantastic. Uh, it was a, a bookend, it, it, sort of like a conceptual bookend, and and you incorporated the driving into it. Can can you talk a little bit? That had to have been an intentional decision. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it really was because with my nickname has always been Miss Memory Lane, and, and it's this, it's you know something that used to kind of make me mad because everyone would go, well, here he go, you know, here he goes, Miss Memory Lane, and because I'm addicted to nostalgia, and so I, I started. I, I, this whole thing kind of felt like a roadmap to me. And so I had this huge um, cork board, uh, which then turned into like an entire wall in my house. Um, and I was kind of just like connecting the dots almost like you would on a map. And so with the beginning of the book, I open it um, basically of me driving to all of the my old haunts and, and basically down all the old roads that I used to go down. And then it then it takes me to um, the end of my prologue, which I which I say, um, I don't know where I'm going, but I, I'm beginning to know, I'm beginning to see where I've been. And so then at the end, uh, I kind of take it full circle. And then after writing the book, it's me driving back because um, I wrote a lot of it in Palm Springs. And so it's me driving back um, down that road after having gone through this one. And it, it definitely has a feeling of light and not so much un, not so much unknown, but there's still, you know, it still definitely feels like a map and um, different chapters that I'm able to kind of put put away and then kind of start new ones. So, lovely. Uh, I, yeah. I noticed too that uh, you have a, a, a beautiful Elton John blurb for for the cover of your book. Can you can you tell us how that came about? That so <laughs> I okay I am. When, when you're when you're writing a book for people that that know basically they they'll they'll reach out and be like okay can you reach out to everyone you know to try to get blurbs or to try to get um you know people to post about it or things like that and so my my coming out process right right the day i came out in 2016 uh on instagram elton john posted a post of a picture of he and i because we had known each other years prior and we had met and I'd gone to his um, his uh, galas that he has in, in Windsor and I'd gone to a, a lot of his charity events. And so I just, I felt bad asking people because I just, it's hard for me to ask for help a lot of times or ask people for certain things because I just feel like they're going to say no and I don't want to be let down. And so I was supposed to ask weeks prior and I had like two days to get my blurbs in. And luckily I had Bill Clegg, he already sent his, and I had Saeed Jones sent, sent his as well. But they were like, have you asked Elton and David? And I'm like, yeah, I have, they haven't gotten back. I hadn't asked because I, <laughs> I, felt, I felt bad for asking. And you know, I was in the bathtub and I was like, Colton, just, just send a text, just text Elton and David. So I texted them, David responded right away. And within two days, they both had read the book and they sent me a blurb. This was like on a Wednesday. It might've been a day and a half, I have chills. Um, uh, and then the fact that they, you know, they sent that right away and they, that they were willing to just, you know, put whatever they were doing on hold and like actually do what they could to help. And I, you know, I've known them over the years and, and, you know, we're not best friends, but like, you know, I, I can reach out to them. And the fact that they did that really was so touching for me because, um, they were, Elton played such a, a big part in my growing up and also in my coming out. And so, so did his husband, David as well. And just to know that I had that support felt so 
incredible, like so incredible. Yeah. But I was, they, I was told not to put sir because, um, cause they, they felt this thing when I was re- when they were reading the book, they're very, very, and when I say normal, I just mean they're not, you know, when you say, when you think of a sir, you think of someone that's, um, you know, above, uh, but that's not them at all. And so they, yeah, they, they requested that, um, since the book is so just, you know, normal, like my upbringing, and I think theirs too. I just, yeah, I just kept Elton. But that's it's really nice. It's something to treasure for sure. I know. I can't believe it. It's on the back of the book. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned this is this was your first opportunity to write a book. Uh, what about the process surprised you? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> uh, I I just. I wasn't, I, I, what really surprised me was that, I mean, there's, there's a a lot surprised me basically on the, on the negative side, I think it would surprise me that it's never over. And so, you know, once you go through these, these like mental landmines in a way um, of just, and then just feeling like you can't get things done um, that was hard for me because it was like an everyday struggle. And then I couldn't see a finish line. But on the positive, once I just moved through that and just continued to believe in my work and continued to believe in everyone that was helping me and and was really allowing people to allowing myself to hear the uplifting words that, that were coming my way, I, once I kind of pushed through that door, I it surprised me. I took two months away after uh, I didn't even look at the book or think about it because I had to. So then whenever I looked at it with fresh eyes. I was so moved to tears because I, and I, I even was going back to my notes in my journal because I couldn't believe that there were some things in here that I, that I wrote. And so I was going, holy shit, like, or I don't know, holy crap. I, I, I did this and it, this, this turned out so much better than I, I could have a thousand times better than I could have imagined. And, and now I have this, you know, it, it doesn't matter if five people read the book. I have something that I'm proud of, and that never happens for me. And so, in a hundred percent proud of. And so, that surprised me that I was able to look at something I had done, and look at it and be like, "This is the best thing I've ever done in my life." And and I don't know how this happened, but now I have this special thing, and that will be around forever. And so that that really surprised me. Yeah. And uh, and I'm and you narrated the audiobook as well, right? I did, yeah. I, I cried the uh, the last basically the last third of it. I think I cried, and you know that was fun. That was a that was a dark that was a dark week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I loved I loved how that turned out too. It's just that that is so it's such a surprising thing when you know I don't tend to be the type of person, especially if you read my book, you'll understand. Um, for people who are listening, that that I'm not like. You know, I think the typical idea of an actor in Hollywood or or someone, you know, with, um, I don't know, a, a jawline, I guess, because I, I typically like look like kind of like a jock douchebag, but it's just not me at all. <laughs> I think I, I think the perception is that I would have confidence, and I, I really still I struggle with confidence every day, and um, yeah, to be proud of something like this, how I'm proud of this is just so, it's such a great feeling. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you're, you're no stranger to the, to the lens or to the stage or to the screen. Yeah. So how was the, how was the audiobook narration different than some of your other performances? Well, 
you know, I, I what I'm glad that didn't I I was imagining that I was going to have to write or read like, you know how when you hear like Simon and Schuster audio and it's like Simon and Schuster audio like I thought I was going to have to read and talk like a very established person, and so I started doing that and they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> they were like, no, just read it like you and I was like, oh, I thought I had to sound like studious, um, but uh, um, so yeah, that I think. The hardest part about it was if you miss one word, one little word, you know, you have to go back. And so that that took me a little bit to get um, to get the hang of. But when you're reading for so long, I mean, I, my sessions were and I had like a whole week of sessions. <clears throat> it was from like. What was it? From? It was almost like a nine to five situation. And it just took a long time because we kept having to go back and, and do things over. But. Um, but it was, it was really cool because the studio, it was in, um, oh my gosh, what is it? It's, it was in East, East LA. I forgot exactly the area. It's by that, like, and there's like an old bowling alley that they redid, but, um, it felt very much like, like a Miss Memory Lane moment. It was very, um, I, I furnished my entire house, um, uh, on Craigslist for free, like this, <laughs> everything for free and the free thing on Craigslist like this, where is it over here? This chest or this uh, book thing, free, everything in my house was 100% free. Because um, I'm like my mom in that way. I, I'm a thrifter. So that studio felt like that. And it just felt really cozy. And yeah, it felt it was just really a comfortable experience. But I definitely cried. Could you see yourself narrating other people's books? No. <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you why. There's a story. I won't tell. I won't say who. But I... Actually, if there's a paycheck, I'll do anything. I think I think I've established that. I think I've established that. Yeah, if anyone would like that, I and there is a paycheck involved, I will gladly do it. Um, but there's when I went and did this, I won't say the the person who, but a very famous person had gone to um, had wanted to get into narration uh, to narrating other people's books, and so they went to this place and they they started, and they weren't really. They, didn't, they weren't aware of how much work it is and how hard it is when you narrate something. So two hours in, they took like a bathroom break and they never came back. <laughs> and so I that story made me feel better because I was like, okay, you know, most people feel this way when they're doing it, but I'm super proud of the audiobook as well. Yeah, excellent. Do you, yeah. do you have another memoir in you? Oh, um, <laughs> you know, I could have written, like I said, I could have written a couple and I kept finding myself Cause they're still, I'm, I am from like, you know, this, this, the being in LA, you, there is still a lot of fake. There's a lot of fakeness. There's a lot of, you have to kind of uh, sometimes withhold how you're really feeling because you don't want to, you know, come across difficult or things like that. And um, the fake qualities about this, it's, that's one of the hardest things for me to be in this industry because sometimes I'm like, can we just, can we just have like open conversations and like, can, can I hear what you're actually feeling as opposed to like, you know, just withholding emotion. And so, so I'm glad that some of it didn't make it in. And I almost said, maybe it'll be for the next memoir, but like, I still have this thing inside of me where I do have a little anger towards the way that I've been treated. And I, I started finding myself, especially the last couple months when I was trying to finish the book, a lot of my little like, negative kind of shadiness started creeping back into the book 
And I kept having to say, Colton, this isn't you. This is you dealing with, you know, some PTSD from the past and the way that some people have treated you. And I started seeing myself trying to get digs in. And so luckily I was able to take, to calm myself down and not do that. But I think I definitely have more writing in me. I think, you know, I think there's definitely something, I mean, I'm working on something right now, but I, I, um, it's going to, it's a different format. And I, I, I've always written like poet, like poems and I, I love sonnets and things like that. And, and I think that that's something I've been working on and especially in this class that I'm taking. And I, yeah, I, I just love, I am so in love with writing now. Like it is something once I saw that I could do it and then I, I had someone kind of, I don't know, I just felt like people were believing in me and I actually felt supported. And that's something I don't necessarily feel a lot in the other, um, you know, with acting sometimes. Uh, and I love so, that you're studying the craft too. That's excellent. That's so, it's so fun. I mean, it's online right now, but I, I, it's so like, and plus I don't, I don't think anyone in my, I don't think anyone in my classes knows that I have a book out. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been fun to, to start learning and, you know, I have a letter from my mom. I actually read it at my book signing at Book Soup a couple of days ago. Um, she she wrote she's she was a well, not published, but she used to write a lot. And she wrote me this letter, and she was like, "You've accomplished everything in in your life that I set out for." And then it said dot dot dot, except for being gay, haha. And then it said then it said. Um, I really love your talent, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to go to school at some point. And it was like her being kind of shady, but then, you know, I, I took that, I I'm kind of taking her notes and, and just, you know, trying to continue with this and see if, it, if this is another facet of my creativity that I, you know, will grow to love, which I already have. So, yeah. Nice. Great. Yeah. I got one more question for you. We can, we can wrap yeah. it up with this one. Uh, it should be a softball. Uh, what are you, Colton, excited about these days? What, what gets you out of bed? Oh, what, what gets me out of bed? I, well, besides my son, which he's a cat, but don't don't let him. I can't. He gets mad when I call him a cat. He thinks he's a, he's a, he thinks he's a four year old child, and he acts like it a lot of times. Um, his name's Timothy Shalomiao. Um, nice. But uh, uh, he gets me out of bed. But but what really gets me out of bed is just knowing that. I'm really proud that I, that I've continued to, to go forward at this. And, you know, I mean, things, my career has definitely taken a different turn, but I think what gets me out of bed now is knowing that, that I'm able to be a hundred percent, like wholly myself. And I'm also just excited for kind of what's, what chapters, you know, lie ahead and kind of what, what roads, you know, what roads I can drive down next. And, um, yeah, I definitely, yeah, it, it, it definitely, there is an unknown at the end of the book that it's very open-ended and that, that is kind of how I'm feeling, but at least I'm able to, at least I am able to just be me. And at least I'm able to go forward and try to accomplish other goals. Um, and I'm not bogged down by my addiction anymore. And yeah, so I think my positivity and my my will to live and, you know, to accomplish goals is definitely what gets me out of bed. All right, JD, uh, let's start with you. I know you're, uh, you've said you don't like to write nonfiction. 
have, have you have you considered a memoir? Like, is that you know this conversation kind of move you toward that at all? Well, a lot of the the book, uh, ghostwriting projects that I did were were memoirs. Mm. Um, I've done it for politicians. I've done it for for sports figures. Um, honestly, it's a like if you want to go down that road, it's a great way to make a living. Um, and they're fairly easy to write. Um, you know, like when the, the latest one with a, a politician. I just I sat down with her for for about two and a half days um, at at a house on a lake that she had, and you know just got the the audio recorder going and just let her rattle off stories that that she you know recalled or wanted to talk about, and you just kind of get a conversation going. Um, so once you get that basic frame work down you know it's, it's pretty easy um and you know you're t- obviously you're telling somebody's life so it's you know a chronological thing so the structure is already there so it's a good learning um tool i think for for a lot of authors i find it funny that he, he mentioned that he missed a, a couple of deadlines and and the, one of the funniest things uh, you know and they don't talk about this but like editors always pad the deadlines on memoirs when it's you know because it's, it's always that person's first time out of the gate you know so memoir autobiography anytime some you know a, a, somebody a public figure is writing one of those you know if they say that it's due july 12th it's really like they're expecting it in like October, you know, but they're, they're throwing that out there because if they don't give a deadline, you know, they're, they're not going to see it by October either. Um, but yeah, no, nobody hits those particular deadlines. Uh, Zach, have you ever worn a chicken outfit anywhere? <laughs> not a chicken. I've never been a chicken. So, <laughs> oh, so, so you've I, been something else? No, I haven't. <laughs> that was a great opening question. Though. Thank he you. He seemed to really like yeah, that. He, so that was... I, I love it when like, cause you know, I'm sure the guy's done like a bazillion interviews for this for this uh, you know press tour, so it's always nice when you can kind of knock him off off center a little bit. Yeah, the only thing that disappointed me is I think the Red Robin near me closed, so I didn't get to go 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 there. But yeah, I love Red Robin. Uh, you know, L.A. is just a weird place because you know like somebody ends up on like a CW TV show, you know, your brain just automatically assumes they're making a gazillion dollars. They live in a big old house on a, on a hill somewhere out there. Um, and you know, eventually they, you know, if they, they stick with it, they get there. Um, but you know, not at first, you know, so like you can go to LA and like walk into a McDonald's and see somebody that, you know, is on television right now behind the counter. Um, and you know, it's, it's just, it's like that because you know, all those people have, you know, regular day jobs that, you know, just like authors, they start off doing something, they save up, they eventually move out of that life and you know, it gets a little bigger and gets better. Um, but you know, that's not an overnight thing for, for most of them. So it's just, LA is just weird. Um, but you know, a lot of the jobs are the same ones you'd see around here, you know, like that guy flipping the sign on the street corner to save money on your insurance. Just if you happen to go out in LA, it might be somebody that you, you just watched on, um, you know, on Netflix. Yeah. It's kind of, it's funny. I was actually having that conversation with a buddy of mine here cause Nashville's kind of the same way with musicians. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you, a lot of people are making a full-time living doing it, but you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine who's like in a signed band. They have a tour bus and everything and have just finished a pretty big tour. And he's like, yeah, I mean, we do okay. But people, people definitely think you make a lot more money than you do, you know, and especially on those tours, you have a lot of expenses and stuff too, you know? So I thought um, just to kind of go a different direction, I I thought one really interesting thing that he talked about. And, and I think this is something that, um, a lot of first time writers, I mean, deal with is when he was talking about, he was saying writer's block when he was talking about it, but I don't really think it didn't sound to me like what he really was experiencing was writer's block as much as like hitting that. And and I don't want to put words in his mouth for sure, but like, it sounded almost like he was kind of hitting that, that middle of the book, like, you know, slog that we all kind of hit at the same time of having to go through the very hard editing process where you're having to cut a bunch of stuff. And I can imagine, especially when you're writing a memoir, that has to be so difficult because to, to cut things out like that. 
Well, yeah, he's, he's a young guy, but he's had a, a fascinating life, you know, yeah. already. Um, and one of the biggest problems that I ran into working on these kind of things is a lot of people are either extremely forthcoming to the point where they're sharing a lot more than they probably should, um, or it's the other way around. And when you're writing one of these yourself, it's a difficult line to walk, you know, like, because the second you put that down on paper and you make, you know, that, that, you know, particular story known, um, you know, it, it's out there. There's, there's no taking it back, especially once that thing is published. Um, so that, that's very tricky. Um, and he did a good job. I mean, he definitely, you know, a memoir is not going to sell if you don't reveal some of those, those little tidbits, those things that cringeworthy moments of your life. That's what people really want to read. They don't want to hear about the happy stuff. They want to hear about the hard stuff. Um, so you have to be, be willing to share that. Um, he had brought up the little notes during the editing process. And I know you guys haven't had a traditional editor. I'm not sure if your, your other editors do this sort of thing, but like, you know, when you get those back from your editor at random house, especially on the very first book, it could be extremely daunting. You know, you open up the manuscript, there's, you know, 2000 changes and, you know, 200 comments and, you know, you read the first comment and you sit there for a good 10 minutes stirring on it because they want to cut, you know, three words out of a sentence and they explain why. And like, you know, you can't cut those three words and this is why it should stay. And like, you just, you go back and forth. So, but imagine if somebody's actually picking apart your life like that, you yeah. know, because it's a memoir, you know, so like everything in there is true, you know, an editor basically telling you, well, you shouldn't say this, or maybe you should say it this way or that kind of thing like that, you know, it just hits home a lot harder, I think at, at that level. Um, that being said, when you get a couple books in, those comments could be a lot easier to take and, you know, skipping over them or just, you know, ignoring them is, is also something you are allowed to do. I think a lot of first time authors don't realize that you can, you can skip them. You don't have to do it. Yeah, that, that was kind of what I was saying was I just couldn't imagine. I mean, I know that a lot of authors, especially early on, get really married to their, their you know, they they have a lot of trouble taking that from an editor, exactly what you're saying, you know, and it was daunting. I mean, because, um, I mean, I, you know, first time I got an edit back, it was crazy. It was exactly what you're saying, just a ton of crazy comments and changes and everything explained. I mean, Jay's worked with my editor. He knows like she loves over explaining things <laughs> and um, I like picking on her, but it's like, but early on, that's a good thing. But yeah, like I could not imagine it would be really difficult if, you know, you're it's like, think about how, like you just said, you're, you're so close to it because it actually happened to you, you know? So I'm sure that was a really daunting thing to go through. Yeah. I mean, I, he kind of glossed over it, and and I think it's because this was his first book, and Colton didn't realize that knocking out ten or fifteen thousand words a day is a beast. <laughs> that's brutal. I mean, I yeah. was like, wow, man, that is like that's a lot of production, uh, you know. And then having, like you said, having to edit it down to a thousand words or something like that's a that's some hardcore writing and editing there. Well, I think if you go back and, and listeners may want to check out the Matthew McConaughey interview, you know, where he talked about writing green lights and, you know, honestly, the way that he went about it is, is much easier, you know, but, you know, it, it's a life thing. Like, you know, Matthew McConaughey went through his life keeping journals, writing things down, um, you know, in, in his Airstream while he was driving he had a microphone system, you know, set up so that he could record audio tidbits, you know, so like it, from his standpoint, he had too much material, but he had it all there. So that it's just a matter of whittling down what you what you want to share and what you don't. Um, so, I mean, there's just so many different ways to approach this and that's probably the two two ends of the, the spectrum um, but I've, I've I've worked with a lot of people in, in Colton's shoes and you know a lot of times you know people approach them the publisher will go to the this famous person and say we'd love to have a book from you are, are you willing to write it and like they don't know where to start um, so again if, if you ever you know consider something like that as a career it's a great little you know side hustle to help you pay for the fiction stuff while you're trying to get that off the ground excellent excellent any other uh, takeaways it was a lovely conversation I mean Guy's super talented, obviously, and uh, was it was a real joy to talk to him. But uh, any any other takeaways? 
you got to love a blurb from Elton John. Yeah, I was going right? to say right. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that's so cool on a on a lot of different you know levels because you know like you walk into a Barnes and Noble, you see a lot of the same names blurb in books, you know, over and over and over again. But I I can't recall a single title ever blurb by Elton John before. So like that as a as a get is strong, and I think from a sales standpoint to have something that unique on there is is huge too. So you know just I guess something else to think about. You know when you get to that point as an author, you know reach out to your friends, reach out to the people you know. Don't be afraid to ask for those. The worst thing they can do is say no. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about too. When he was talking about that and how he was worried about him saying no, I was like, Oh, it's the worst thing that would happen. So, yeah. you know, cool. All right. Great interview. Uh, JD, who's up next week? Next week, I'm going to butcher her name and she you know, hates it because I can never say it right. But, uh, Eva Lesko and Natiello and Natiello. Uh, I'm going to just call her Eva. It's, it's just way easier. I've, I've known her for years. I've never been able to pronounce her name, um, which is just sad. Um, she's an award-winning New York Times bestseller um, of psychological thrillers. Her first novel was called The Memory Box. And the cool thing about this is she indie published it, but she managed to get it to the New York Times list, which is no easy feat. Um, her latest novel is called Following You, and it's out now. And I'm sure Jay is going to pull every little tidbit out of her to you know, find out how she hit that New York Times list. I'll give it my best shot. Hey, if you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.